a golden god! An equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> Who's weirder, you or me? You just put the law on my hands, and I'm gonna break your heart. Nobody puts baby in the Whatever you do, don't fall everyone and welcome back to movies for life i am one of your co-hosts michelle Egan, and i'm your other co-host brian kuiper and we are back with our second list episode from last year we did our favorite movies of 2023 last time and now we're doing our favorite discovery movies of 2023 so any movie that did not come out in 2023 is up for uh, discussion here yeah possibly fair game anything up to and including 2022 even uh though i don't think Which I, mine got does. That, I didn't get that current um yep yeah actually I, I feel pretty good about my spread here as far as time frames go so that's nice i went from 1939 to 2022 so all right my oldest is 1941 and my newest is 2021 right so there we go all right <laughs> and we do have something we're going to be doing a little bit differently for this episode a little kind of bonus section um, which was brian's idea you want to explain that sure so we're going to start by counting down our 10 through 6 of our sort of feature film discoveries then we're going to do a little intermission where we talk about documentaries exclusively now documentaries can make the other portion of the list but uh i felt like the best movies i watched this year were all documentaries so that would like blow out half my list so (laughs) i thought maybe well actually you suggested that maybe we could have a separate section and so we're going to do it in the middle so it's kind of highlighting it still um but that way we can really uh just not have an entire list that is devoted to just one kind of movie so it just gets us to talk about more movies which we always like to do that's what it comes down to pretty much yeah call it a cheat if you will but hey our show our rules and i was a lot bigger with documentaries this year than i ever have been um i didn't even really start logging them until august and i already like logged a ton of them so i I probably missed some that i watched earlier this year but i was i was really into doc it's like such an oversaturated thing now they're like on every there's so many on every streaming service but i saw a lot of really good ones so i am excited to have a little separate discussion about that because yeah yeah one one documentary did make my list at number 10 just because there was no other movie that i loved as much as as that one you know but Still plenty more to talk about in that uh, intermission section. 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, the five that I picked uh, would have been my top five best movies I saw <laughs> this year. So, yeah. um, again, like I said, just wanted to talk about more movies. So, there we go. That's that why. never a bad thing. Yeah. Okay, so I think we were going to have you go first this time, since I went first on our 2023 episode. Uh, so, what do you got at number 10? We know it's a documentary. It is a documentary from 2021, and it is a documentary about um, a filmmaker that I've been a fan of for a while. Um, It's about Adrian Shelley, and the documentary is just called Adrian. You can find it on Max, I believe, or I forget. Yeah, I think it was on Max. So Adrian Shelley was one of those... um, indie darling um, actresses and uh, filmmakers of the 90s and early 2000s, you know, a one to watch kind of rising star. And she made a few of her own um, films and short films. She was really about to hit it big, though, with her uh, latest movie, Waitress. Very personal movie. And I think it would have become like it's, it has become um, like such a huge cult movie. It got its own show on Broadway in 2019, yeah. you know, and 13 fact, years after it was released. <laughs> right now it's the the there's like a Fathom Events screening of the musical uh, nice. in theaters right now. Um wow. or, or recently, I should say. So, uh, but the thing is is that she never got to see uh, any of that happen because about 2 months before the movie Waitress was um, going to premiere at Sundance. Adrian Shelley was murdered. Uh, she's not a name that many people know. Like one of the things in the documentary, um, it was made by her husband, Andy. He made it, he directed it, and he kind of leads us through her story. And like one of the things that he does is he goes and talks to the people that are in line outside of the the musical, you know, waiting to get in to see. And he's asking them like, so do you know who Adrian Shelley is? Like she's the one who created that. None, none of them knew. Um, who she was so that's kind of the main reason I think to watch this documentary like I like I said I've been a fan of her I'm like I'm a huge fan of waitress um, I am not that familiar with her other stuff uh, um, unfortunately but I am going to try to uh, catch up on some of other films but I'm glad that I know her you know as a person you can tell by her acting style and by just like watching the footage of her in this um, documentary that she was a really intelligent and introspective kind talented you know beautiful woman who was um a very much needed and unique female voice um in film and it's it's just like it's such a tragedy it's such a robbery you know that we didn't get more from her but what got to me the most about her story is that the the way that the doc is done is that it it's Andy going through and like kind of telling her story and then also kind of interweaving it with him and their daughter is still dealing with the aftermath uh, of it um, all these years later and him kind of working through like what exactly happened the night that she was killed because uh, the person that killed her made it look like a suicide. It was what happened was that it was somebody that was trying to rob her. She caught him. He panicked and accidentally killed her and they made it look like a suicide. But, you know, the family, everybody wouldn't believe that that's what happened because, like I said, what the real tragedy to me of her story is, is that there's no way that she would have done that because it, it seems like it was like really gets me like her story is like what was happening at the time in her life that this happened was that 
it's like she was finally getting all of those things in life that she always wanted, you know? Mm-hmm. After having all these like bad relationships and stuff, she finally was like in a happy relationship, like with somebody that she was so happy with that she actually married him, you know? And she finally had um, a child that she wanted. Her daughter Sophie was only two when she died. And um, she like doted on and adored that child. You know, it's uh, kind of interesting, especially watching the movie Waitress. It's so close to her personal life is that that movie is about kind of the fear of having a child because like the main character that Carrie Russell plays in the movie, like she's in an unhappy relationship and she gets pregnant and she's like not excited about it at all, <laughs> which is right. very kind of different because it talks about, you know, the the fear and like how much your life is going to change or whatever. And then like how happy you are like when you finally realize like how much you love this person. Adrian Shelley is in the movie too. Her daughter's in the movie and it just, Oh God, it just freaking kills me. And like, you see her daughter in the movie now, like not even really being able to process, you know, what, what she's lost, what she's missed out on. You know, she was only two when her mother was killed and uh, I was pretty much crying like through this entire documentary, just like thinking about like what the world lost, you know, with this person, she seemed like such an amazing person. And um, I hope like the sadness of that is not a turn off for anybody to, to not watch this because, you know, me, more people need to watch this. And I think learn about um, Adrian Shelley and, and see her movies and, and not let a person like her be forgotten. Yeah, this is, uh, after you mentioned it, was one that I added to my list immediately, and so I will give it a go as soon as I can. I think I've been focused on movies that are a little happier uh, I know. Yeah, this... lately, <laughs> so I've just, just because I've kind of needed that, I think I've needed a break. Um, I understand, yeah. Which kind of brings us to my number 10, to okay. be honest with you. <laughs> From 1998, maybe one of the most ironically titled movies ever, Happiness, <laughs> from director Todd Salons. Oh, no. Um, so, <laughs> I didn't mean that to be the link, but hey. So, those of you who have heard of this movie, even, you probably know this is an extraordinarily controversial film. Uh, it's got why, why? Um, all sorts of <laughs> taboo-breaking stuff going on in this movie. But at the same time, there's the way that it's structured. It's it's one of those movies that came around that were sort of groups of disparate characters that all sort of interlinked in different ways because of sort of a central theme. You know, I mean, it's riffing on Altman in different ways. You know, you had uh, people like Paul Thomas Anderson making movies like this too, right? But this is a wild movie and it's really hard to see. And uh, I had to watch it on YouTube. That's the only way to watch it right now. Yeah. But really interesting and compelling and (laughs) weirdly funny, very darkly funny movie. Um, The last line gives Eyes Wide Shut a run for its money. Um, (laughs) It's weird. It's crazy. And it's dark and it's funny and it's just an oddball film. And I don't really know if I want to say much more about that than just if you're 
curious about it, kind of look it up. I mean, seriously, and you'll either go, no way, <laughs> or that sounds intriguing. And for me, it was that sounds intriguing. And um, I watched it and was very surprised by it and um, yeah. thought it was really a shame that it's so kind of hard to see. And it is because of its controversy. It's kind of been buried. There's a particular character that has a fantasy about walking into a park with a rifle and shooting everybody. And that brings him sort of a weird sense of happiness. For example, that's one of the things. Uh, And it helps that it's played by the principal from Trick or Treat, who seems to have similar (laughs) fantasies in that movie. Um, So (laughs) anyway... Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, that's look- one of those where you watch it and you're like, can I can I laugh? This feels so wrong to laugh. <laughs> it does feel wrong to laugh. Um, um, yeah. But what, what you've got, I mean, you've got Jane Adams, John Lovitz, Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, Dylan Baker, who I was just talking about, yeah. uh, Laura Flynn Boyle, Ben Gazzara, <laughs> all kinds of people, Molly Shannon um, in this Cameron movie. Cameron Manham. Right, yeah. right. Um, it's it's one of those kinds of movies where it's like an all-star cast doing things that you would not expect an all-star cast to do. Exactly. Yeah. And <laughs> that's part of what makes it a really great movie. And movies in the 90s were, I think, less afraid than movies are now. And I think that's one of the reasons why I found it compelling was because it just kind of goes for it and says, we're going to depict some dark things but you know you can't deny that there is some reflection in reality happening here um yeah. so i know you've seen this one i don't know if you have anything yeah. you would, would want to add to that i mean i don't really want to say anything about like the characters or something that's just kind of something it's it's something you have to watch for yourself um but yeah i definitely had yeah. the same reaction where i was i was very i was surprised but i was intrigued that it kind of had the balls <laughs> yeah that it does it's one of the i remember um tweeting that i was watching it i i tweeted something like um, i have no idea what i'm in store for and like all the comments were just oh okay <laughs> get ready yeah pretty much yeah <laughs> that's pretty much what it is so. yeah yeah, and it shows. Not that up I would. I definitely would. I don't know that I would recommend it to like. No, everybody. There, there's like. There's very few people that I would say, "Hey, yeah. you should watch Happiness." <laughs> right. Um, you got to have a little bit of a twisted sense of humor, I think. Yeah, to, I think so. To be able yeah. to appreciate it. Yeah, this is gonna. This is probably the most divisive movie on my list would be Happiness nice. from 1998. <laughs> okay, so um, number nine. Number nine for me is uh, I'm catching up on some more films. Kind of like I, I was, have been doing over the last few years with like Roy Scheider. I'm catching up on movies from Anthony Perkins. You know, no, only really knowing him for so long from Psycho is catching up on mm-hmm. some other films that I haven't seen yet. And I think the favorite one that I have seen is from 1968, Pretty Poison. Oh, excellent. Yeah, not the trial. Sorry. <laughs> no, I. Uh, Although the trial was really good. Had uh, I have it's in my discards and just below the list. I have an Anthony Perkins movie as well. So. Oh, and uh, a different one. Ah, yeah, okay. and I wasn't sure nice. if you were going to say that one or or not. So uh, that, uh, but Pretty Poison is great. 
Pretty Poison is awesome. So it's yeah. Anthony Perkins in Tuesday Weld. Uh-huh. Um, I'm, I was realizing too, like uh, when I was making my list, apparently I have there's some like overlap in terms of the actors that are in the movies of my picks. And I kind of like that. So you might see one of these names pop up again in another movie later on. Uh, but Perkins plays Dennis, who is he's I don't think he's released. He's like on leave or something from the mental hospital. I think I was kind of intrigued, like from the beginning, because you can tell like in that conversation that he's having with his doctor, like as he's leaving, that he's still not OK. Exactly. He's right. not, <laughs> Um, I don't know that they ever really say like what exactly. He's got some kind of delusions, schizophrenia. I don't know. I don't want to like diagnose anybody, but um, he he just thinks he's a completely different person than who he actually is. Um, he gets involved with this young girl cheerleader um, named Suean, and he tells her and convinces her that he's a CIA agent and that he's doing some missions and he needs help you know with her on her mission on these missions and she seems to like get excited you think she's excited about it kind of like a dumb teenager like believing you know whatever this this exciting you know guy is telling her about about his life and uh, one night they go to the factory where he's gotten a job like he's it's very suspicious of the people that work at this factory or whatever, mm-hmm. what they're doing or whatever. So they they sneak in there one night and they're just going to like sabotage the place or something. And um, Sue Ann ends up killing one of the security guards. And things just kind of take a wilder turn with the story when they want to like run away together. But they run into a little bit more trouble with Sue Ann's mom. And I don't want to say anything else besides that. Mostly, though, it was just it was a really cool, like, different type of story. And it's great to see Anthony Perkins doing something like this. He's he's so good. He's so charming and, and sweet and, and naive. And as this person, you feel sorry for him the whole time that you're watching this because, you know, like I said, he's clearly not better. You know, even after his time in the hospital, he's he's still a very, like, functioning person you know in in society but he's you know his delusions are still like the main focus of his life and this is especially sad with the turn that the movie takes that um i really wasn't expecting at all and that's when the movie like really kind of went up for me like Mm -hmm. when the uh the ending twist happens i was like okay i i love that that's that's kind of amazing and so um i was just I love this for the the actors and like the weird black comedy of it. Yeah, this is a brilliant little like cult gem of a movie. It really is. Uh, I saw this a couple of years ago for the first time, and yeah, really impressed by it. I discovered Twilight Time like a couple months before they shut down, and this was one of the discs I bought from them, and ah, nice. so glad I picked it up. Uh, and it's. Yeah, great movie, well worth seeing, and especially if you're only familiar with Perkins from Psycho, uh, branch out, because some of those other things he did are really, really compelling, and um, like I said, I'll mention another one a little later, and uh, the things like Play It As It Lays, which is also hard to find, but is is on YouTube in a pretty good transfer, Ah. so I'm kind of like, you know what, if you can't find it anywhere else, YouTube go for it you know it's fine in my opinion 
if there's no disc, if there's no streaming and it's on YouTube, just watch it on YouTube, you know? <laughs> I'm cool with that too. Yeah. 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 Don't let the movies get lost. No, exactly. And that's one of the things that I, I've been really fearful of that lately. And my yeah. number nine is maybe a good example of that uh, because this is a movie that this was the very first movie I watched in 2023, the very first. And it just sort of instantly latched on to me. I watched it because it was leaving HBO Max and I have not seen it return anywhere. Um, and that is Robin Wright's directorial debut called land from 2021 okay so it starts out where she yeah her name is uh is edie and she experiences played by robin wright she uh experiences an unimaginable tragedy okay so uh she's on the phone with her sister at the beginning of the movie and is clearly not coping well as soon as she ends the conversation she takes her phone and throws it in the garbage. She then proceeds to uh, pack up just a few things. Canned goods, bottled water, a couple of sort of do-it-yourself survival guides. And she's asked someone to drive her. She takes an Uber, essentially, out into the middle of nowhere to this cabin uh, that's in her family is just like she's going to shut herself off entirely from society. She's giving herself no way to communicate, no way to leave, no transportation of her own, nothing. Not even in case of emergency because she wants to live, but she doesn't really care if she dies at the beginning of the film. At first, uh, I mean, it, it's just like she tries to patch up this rickety old cabin. Um, she gets it functional as she can, but one day she's out in the outhouse and a bear gets into the house, ravages all of her canned goods, all of the stuff that she brought and breaks the door, breaks stuff in the cabin. Winter comes, she almost dies. But this family manages to find her, like a hunter manages to find her, just come upon her and kind of nurses her back to health. M Miguel, uh, played by an actor named uh, Demian Bakir, I think is his name. He's in The Nun, I guess. And The Hateful Eight. I'm not that familiar with him, but he's really terrific in this. Uh, and they develop this friendship. He comes and visits, and she's sort of learns from him how to hunt, um, how to make it on her own. Um, she figures out ways to keep the animals out of her garden and stuff like that. But what's really beautiful about the movie is this friendship that develops and where it goes from there. I don't really want to say because it's sad, but it's a very hopeful film and it really stuck with me all through the year. Like I said, very first movie I watched in 2023 and it just kind of has never left me and I don't hear anybody talk about this movie but i think it's you're saying it's not available any i i swear i swear i saw this and it, i read I, about it i saw it on a stream I, and i was interested because i love robin wright but yeah, yeah. it let me Dang. look let me look okay so it's on freebie okay um it's available for rent on 
you know, various platforms, Amazon, Apple, things like that for four bucks. But I, it's one of those movies that I feel like could just really get lost in the shuffle because it's not a oh, big yeah. movie. It, but I think it's just really superbly acted, very well directed. And I mean, it's shot out in the middle of nowhere. You can tell um, the landscapes and the scenery is just gorgeous. But, you know, also foreboding in its own way as well. Yeah. Um, you really get a sense of the elements. I I found this to, it to be a really, really special movie that I just don't hear anybody talk about. Um, so I hope that people might discover it. I don't know if they'll be as affected by it as I was. You know, I, I think the beginning of the year, sometimes you kind of get reinvigorated on movies, especially if it's something that you've never heard of, doesn't know anything about. Right. It might. Uh, and it, and it feels it just, like a discovery. It, it does. And, that, and that's <laughs> yeah. one of the things that was really special about that one yeah, for me. Because it sure. really did feel like a discovery. Whereas most of these others, I've heard about them from other sources. So, yeah, um, this was. I'll have to. Yeah, Put that I back really, on my list. I don't. I don't know if you'll. It'll affect you the way it affected me or not, but I hope <laughs> that you would like it too. Um, and I think Robin Wright. She's gorgeous. One of, I love she, her. She's well. The I, thing is, yeah, she's she is gorgeous, but she's. You can tell that she's she's just let herself let herself like be natural. Yeah, she's natural. She's she's not in Hollywood. She doesn't feel the right. need to keep up with Hollywood. So she's hasn't had gone under the knife and she hasn't had all of these things done you know it's she's why she's gorgeous yeah (laughs) exactly and so it's i just feel like it's a really really special movie so land yeah i'm glad you reminded me of that Mm -hmm. because i do remember like i said seeing it on one of those streaming things and then yeah i guess it just disappeared yeah maybe it was on max all right number eight Eight. for me so this year was all about catching up on documentaries. A few years ago, it was about catching up on animated movies. So I did a little bit more of that this year. And I, there are two amazing ones that I saw this year that I, I, I could not pick between. So I'm going to have a tie okay. of like two animated films. See, this is, this is usually what I do. So I know. This is, this so is I'm, exciting. Pulling, I'm pulling a Brian here. Okay. I didn't do any ties this year. Ah. So stylistically, these movies really couldn't be more different. But as with anything and, you know, with movies, like what really got to me was the emotion that they were both able to convey. So my pick for number eight is the first one is The Iron Giant from (sighs) 1999 and also Coco from 2017. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to choose between those either. Those are both right. Like, uh, how am I? How was I supposed to pick? Like, mm-hmm. which one was my favorite of that? Um, the Iron Giant. Beautiful. <laughs> my my God. Like I said, the style of animation is very different from from Coco, but it's a style that I I miss. There's yeah. like a real comfort and like nostalgia in the simplicity of the way that the Iron Giant is. You know, that's just so different from the animation that we get now. So it's, if you've never seen Iron Giant, which, what are you doing? Go out and watch it now. It's about a young boy named um, Hogarth who finds a huge alien uh, robot, the giant, and makes friends with uh, it. Um, He's a broken robot. He doesn't know exactly at first, like, why he's there or what he is or, you know, where he came from. 
But he's curious and adorable, and Hogarth and his uh, beatnik friend, uh, artist guy, uh, Dean, kind of uh, uh, befriend the giant and, and teach him things. And of course, the, the government is after the giant because he's, spoiler, he's a dangerous weapon. Mm-hmm. But Hogarth is obviously like attached to him and like doesn't believe that and has kind of gotten to know that this giant and it's got personality and it's able to discern the oh god that scene um where the giant sees the deer get killed mm-hmm. like what <laughs> basically this is just another one of those animated movies that just gave me all the feels um <laughs> and yeah. uh, especially with the message the overall message of the movie is like something that hogarth says like you you are who you choose to be <laughs> and then like when the giant is like i don't want to be a weapon or something like or, you know oh my god mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's a brilliant like beautiful story and I was I was so fucking sad at the end and then at the end mm-hmm. it's like yay <laughs> again. Exactly. So, uh, so this movie <laughs> is produced by one Peter Townsend of the Who. What? <laughs> and originally he wanted to make a rock opera of this story. What? And so it uh yeah, but he uh, ended up really being passionate about this story and uh so he helped to bring it to the screen thanks to brad bird who directed this you know one of the one of our great animation directors of Uh, yeah you know the last 20 30 40 years (laughs) 30 years i agree what else has he ratatouille the incredibles the incredibles i love the incredibles ah okay yeah he was also one of the sort of early directors on the simpsons of course mm-hmm. <laughs> and then coco god is for one thing it's beautiful it's, it's like it's big and bold and yeah. colorful and loud and there's there's so much going on just in the, every little scene and frame you know in this movie it's just absolutely beautiful to watch but again like what gets you the most is like the the humanity of of the story it's about love of music it's about devotion to family reconnecting with your family learning more about them uh, it's about tradition and just honoring tradition honoring family um mm-hmm. it's about forgiveness it's about culture mm-hmm. you know it's all kind of based around uh the day of the dead and i love that it's um you know it's the main young boy who gets taken to the land of the dead um I just kind of love the way that it was portrayed, especially like for kids watching it as not being anything scary, really. I mean, they're skeletons and everything, but it's something more respectful and hopeful of, you know, people that have passed on that they're still able to come back, you know, and visit. Even if we can't see them, we can can still feel them. I just that was just such a beautiful way to uh, show that. And again, like, yeah, I was bawling at the end, like Mama Coco and yeah. everything. <laughs> that really got me. I, we that saw this in the theater with our kids when it came out. And, oh, I was such a mess by the end of yeah, it. Yeah, when, I was too. When the whole stuff, <laughs> like with, all the stuff right with now. Mama Coco at the end was yeah. just like, it was so beautiful and so powerful. And then being a music story, too. Absolutely. Was yeah. obviously personal to me and a guitar <laughs> musical story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So two fantastic animated movies that I saw this year. Yeah. Could not leave those off the list. <laughs> uh, 
No, the great choices. Uh, my number eight could not be more different uh, from that. <laughs> so now this is a movie that just looking at, it's taking a cursory look at my letterbox reviews, my friends on it. Uh, this movie is divisive, I think. But from 1977, uh, Death Game. Yes! <laughs> which I thought was really great. I, I was, fucking love Death Game. <laughs> I don't like home invasion movies very much. This is a different kind of take on that, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, where he, they're sort of invited in and he is seduced by them and he's pretty willing to be seduced by them. Um, and when it's Sandra Locke and Colleen Camp, I mean, come on. Uh, so yeah. Seymour Cassell yeah. plays uh, George Manning, who invites these young women into his house when his wife and ch- child are away. And um, they end up all sleeping together. And um, he's a like, very oh, long scene in the bathtub. There is a very long <laughs> scene in the like, bathtub. It's like five minutes long <laughs> yeah and the morning comes and they're still there and he's they like won't leave. <laughs> they won't leave and it just becomes more and more intense you know then by the end you don't know if they're really a danger or if they're just fucking with him or what uh, i think that it's one of the more tense third acts i thought this was terrific so i don't know why i'm seeing so many two-star you know ratings of it it's so good but i thought (laughs) it was a real strong um sort of version of this story i know some uh, apparently and this is something i didn't know because i guess i I haven't seen as much seymour cassell as other people but apparently all of his dialogue was dubbed by someone else which i didn't know and um, oh. so that, uh, I Why? guess, puts some people off. I don't know. He's got a particularly, huh. he's got, you know, he's in uh, best known uh, Minium Moskowitz. Yeah. Um, and so he's just got really strong New York kind of voice. And they changed that because I mean, the movie takes place in what, San Francisco, I think. But I think what really makes this movie great is uh, Sandra Locke and Colleen Camp are just oh so, um, first they're so playful and kind of alluring, but then they become so scary and hell of an ending. I, I thought the ending was I just brilliant. I It did not go at all where no. I was expecting it to. And it comes but out I of nowhere. It. It comes yeah. out of absolutely nowhere. And It gives I, the whole movie oh, yeah. like such a nihilistic feel. Oh, I yeah. I loved it. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I thought this was terrific, so... I knocked something else into the discards that is probably a more quote unquote important horror film from the same year. Yeah. But <laughs> no, I wanted to, love ta- to death game, please. I, I wanted to talk about this one. I think the other one gets enough attention and I'll mention it later, but I thought this was great. Terrific seventies horror film, you know? And so I dug it. Yeah. I wanted to make sure that this was on, one of our lists so <laughs> this is one that we kind of discussed beforehand i was like you got this on your list right otherwise it's going on my <laughs> yeah. um yeah this one definitely needs to be talked about more 
I know the I don't know. the oh. remake is is sort of mu- much maligned, which I haven't seen. <laughs> it's an Eli Roth movie, so I understand why yeah. it's much maligned. But um, <laughs> though I liked Thanksgiving, I should say I liked Thanksgiving. That's like the it's... first Eli Roth movie yeah. I've liked, though. I don't even like the hostile movies. <laughs> um, knock knock is fine, but compared to this, it's nothing. I'm sorry because I don't well, know. What's it's, interesting? This is, is so e- much better. Yeah, Eli Roth made Knock Knock to try and bring attention to Death Gate. Well, in that way, then it was very su- successful. Yeah. Um, I had the same kind of feeling where it was a it was a different kind of feeling than I had from Knock Knock because yeah, you don't really know just like what the hell is their deal? Like Mm -hmm. this whole movie normally, like I think I would watch this um, and just be like really annoyed at these girls because they are, they're sometimes they're just really annoying. They are. Yeah. Even though it's another like very darkly comedic thing, like the scene where they're having breakfast and they're just like shoving food in their face and making a huge mess and everything um you'd be like just why are they doing why are they doing any of this and then some scenes they get a little bit darker they kind of lash out in ways or Mm -hmm. they were there they seem to be revealing some things about themselves or it could just be all bullshit you know and they're doing this with this guy you never you don't know and that's what makes it so interesting i think Mm -hmm. I thought so, too. Yeah. Yeah. I loved Uh, this. I thought this was so fun. Okay. What do you got? Well, my number seven, actually, just for me, it goes really well with that one because I watched both of these movies on the same day. It was a day when I just was deciding, hey, like, I don't want to make any decisions about what movie to watch. I am just going to watch the first couple of movies that are in my shutter queue and Death Game was one of them. And then the other one was from 1986, a movie called Poison for the Fairies. Oh, right. You mentioned this one. Which uh-huh. is my uh-huh. number seven. Yeah. yeah. So I've heard this recommended a few times over the years by uh, Rebecca McKendry. She is a fan of it. And so when I saw it pop up on Shudder, I was ready to give it a watch. Um, it is a, it's a Spanish movie. It's kind of a horror movie, but mostly like a horror fantasy more. And then the fantasy part, I would say, comes about, it's very prominent because the movie is from the perspective of the main characters who are children. So much so that the filmmakers never even show the faces of the adult characters, save for, you know, a couple of like really specific scenes. It's very interesting in that way. So it makes it another one of those where you uh, you don't really know what's real or not because you know it's from the perspective of children so it's about a girl named veronica who from a young age she's getting her head filled with these ideas that there really are witches in the world and they really exist and you can become a witch and instead of scaring veronica this intrigues her very much she kind of she's kind of like a very alpha type personality (laughs) and so it makes her want to um, actually become a witch and she makes friends with um, a new student that comes to their school Flavia Flavia is um, she's very sweet and shy and lonely and you can tell like they have that kind of dynamic where Veronica is definitely like the domineering one and um, Flavia is just kind of sucked in by this more uh, dominating personality she's a little odd Veronica is like um, with all of her 
uh, witch talk, I guess, makes her kind of an outcast with the other students. So she and Flavia kind of cling on to each other with Flavia being new and everything. And sort of like um, coincidences happen that make Flavia believe that Veronica really is a witch. And Veronica even seems to um, believe it herself. Veronica is also very jealous of Flavia because she just comes from a nice family. They're rich. Veronica, I think, is an orphan. They're, they're sometimes so mean to each other or they're so like antagonistic that you just kind of are wondering, like, why are these girls still friends? Like a weird like childhood thing. So you definitely get sucked in with these girls and their relationship and the fantasy of it all. And it's all got to come to a head eventually. And it does in this, uh, the last third act where Veronica goes on a family trip with uh, Flavia and the whole time they're trying to brew up this potion, this poison for the fairies. Fairies are supposed to be like a natural enemy of witches. So that's what Veronica is trying to make. Again, it's like, I don't want to give away um, too much, but I was loving the movie throughout all of this. And then it was another one where the ending just kind of like made it just go up to five stars it's i was just very impressed with like the uniqueness of the story and the way that it was filmed and the way that it's told it's a really really cool little movie i hope it's still on shutter and people can still watch it it's very cool yeah i um don't really know much about it i hadn't uh it, it was not on my radar until you mentioned it until yeah, yeah right until now of course so um yeah i wanting to give that one a look and sounds it's really interesting sounds interesting cool. i'm i kind of mm-hmm. am making a new year's resolution to watch more foreign language films in 2024 and so maybe that's one good. that i can add for that i think you'd like it it's really cool yeah i said that like four sounds, times but it is <laughs> yeah it sounds cool okay my number seven is the oldest movie on my list from 1942, I think I said 1941 at the beginning of this episode, but it's 1942, uh, The Man Who Came to Dinner, um, directed by William yeah. Keeley, written by Philip and Julius Epstein, who wrote Casablanca. A little movie, Casablanca. Yeah, yeah. It's, so it's got uh, a great script, as you can imagine. Uh, so what it comes down to is... Uh, character named Sheridan Whiteside, uh, played by Monty Woolley. Uh, he's like this literary critic. He has a popular radio show, which, you know, that's something we don't experience these days where a popular literary critic would have a radio show. <laughs> he's very sort of demanding kind of person, uh, very eccentric. He's got an assistant named Maggie Cutler, played by Betty Davis, in very against type kind of role. Um, so she's as probably as far from Baby Jane or you know her role in uh, All About Eve as you can get here. She's put up with him for so long that uh, she just kind of is the one person who can sort of stand up to him. So their sort of back and forth is great, but he goes to stay to visit this home of this uh, couple in Ohio and it's snowy. He slips on their stairs. And so he threatens to sue them. And so he ends up staying at their house while he convalesces. 
And so it's like, you kick me out and I'm going to sue you for all your worth kind of thing. So in the meantime, Betty Davis's character falls in love with this newspaper reporter that that Whiteside kind of likes. He kind of is like this guy's this guy's all right, you know, he's he's got a he, I like his wit. But she is going to leave Sheridan so that she can marry this guy. And Sheridan's just not going to have that because, you know, he knows her too well, she knows him too well. Um he relies on her too much. So he devises this whole plan with this actress named uh, Lorraine Sheldon, played by Ann Sheridan, to come in and sort of steal him away from Betty Davis. So it's sort of that screwball comedy kind of feel. Mm-hmm. The Sheridan Whiteside character in particular is very funny. You know, he's got that sort of the great lines that are like masterful insults. You know, those kinds of things. And uh, so it's very entertaining to watch that. Um, And Sheridan has this great costume at one point where it's like a blouse that has these clasps on it that are that are hands (laughs) like as fists. It's something that really stood out to me for some reason. Very clever design. Uh, Jimmy Durante has a great role. Um, if you've ever heard the, have you ever had the feeling that you wanted to go, still had the feeling that you wanted to stay? That's from this movie. Um, so if you've ever yeah. seen um, <laughs> My Stepmother is an Alien, uh, you will be familiar with that scene. And uh, Billy Burke, who plays uh, Glinda the Good, is in this as the wife of the couple that Sheridan is staying with, she still has that voice, you know, the come out, come out wherever you are, the shaky voice. It's in this. It's very strange. Um, so anyway, lots of fun and it's a Christmas movie. Uh, so a lot of the action takes place on Christmas Eve and Christmas day. There are penguins. There is an octopus. It's just a good time. And I watched it twice. The first time I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. Second time it sort of, raised in my estimation and i thought i'm gonna include this on my list fun movie man who came to dinner i want to see that that sounds like fun (laughs) yeah yeah if you like screwball comedy this is a well yeah this is a good example it's a fun one who doesn't yeah yeah all right well our picks seem to be lining up quite well in different ways because the next one on my list number six is the oldest one okay on mine from 1939 Directed by George Cukor, The Women. Yeah. So you hear George Cukor and you already think, okay, it's going to be good, right? Starring Norma Shearer, Joan Crawford, Rosalind Russell, kind of some of the best. Um, Mm -hmm. Also some other names that I I recognize pop up there. Uh, Butterfly McQueen is in it and Hedda Hopper is also uh, (laughs) shows up. Yeah, she shows up in her little role. So the thing that is the most well-known and the the kind of the most unique and cool thing um, about this movie is that it is maybe one of the most women-centered movie ever because every single character in the movie is a woman and not a single man is seen or heard throughout the this movie's entire runtime save for like i think some like photos in the background or something even when um certain characters are like overhearing a conversation in another room between a man and a woman you only hear the woman talking you don't hear the guy talking at all (laughs) interesting 
Yeah. It's really cool. So like the attention to detail and the commitment to that is just really amazing to watch. And then um, the rest of the movie, I can't even really describe too much, but it's just like all kinds of like um, intertwining like relationships and, and, and plots. And basically it's about like the main character is Mary. She finds out that her husband, Stephen, is cheating on her, even though Mary is like super sweet and adorable and lovely plot seems to like change so many times throughout the movie too like kind of the main part that i found really interesting is mary ends up um in reno and she stays at this ranch which apparently exists like specifically for women who are going to reno to get a divorce (laughs) so Mm -hmm. there's um kind of an interesting little sequence there it's a long movie and there's a lot of characters and it's it's a complicated plot but i mean with just like the actresses and that we have here and it's just they are just absolutely killing it and everything it's fascinating it's funny it's all in black and white but there is an a, kind of an odd but cool sequence where they're in a department store it's like a fashion show that's the only part of the movie that's in color huh <laughs> interesting it's 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 weird it's interesting it's just this kind of movie is the reason why i find such comfort in old hollywood mm-hmm. um why for a long time like classic film was my my comfort place and it's like just to see uh those faces that you know and love just to see them like play and and have fun with each other i i love this movie it was it's very cool i you need to see this one for sure i do uh this has been on my radar for a long time um this is the movie that after george cuker was kicked off of gone with the wind he went and made this instead and uh, Victor Fleming was brought in from the Wizard of Oz to make God with the Wind. So <laughs> anyway, that is what it is. And also, I remember the tagline. The title is The Women, It's All About Men. Um, Pretty much, is, yeah. Is what, <laughs> is what it was. Does not pass the Bechdel test at all. No, it, was, <laughs> it was meant to... Uh, to appeal to everybody is, is the whole yeah. point of it. So, yeah, this is one of those movies that I think is sort of like you have your 1939 top tier Wizard of Oz, God with the Wind, I suppose, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington kinds of mm. iconic movies. This is sort of one of those that is Why? that is known slightly less than those, but is Why? one of the great ones. Is one oh, of the great yeah. Ones. Yeah, it's very highly respected. It's one that I've meant to check off my list for a long time so i will get to it all <laughs> it's right. made me really happy watching it i always like you know something to know about me which will come up later on in my list i do love movies about like strong independent cool women and you definitely get that with this movie so yeah for sure yeah i might have some recommendations for you a little bit further on up the list then Ooh, yay. yeah um okay so my number Six uh, was made exactly 50 years later from your number six. And that is uh, from 1989. uh, Bill's Forsyth's Breaking In. It's a thief movie. Uh, Burt Reynolds plays sort of a seasoned burglar, Ernie Mullins, who he's getting into a house in the beginning of the movie. And at the same time, this young guy has broken in named Mike and he's essentially all he's doing is like raiding the fridge um <laughs> you know he's breaking into houses just to break into houses like for the thrill of it 
Whereas uh. Ernie, he knows his stuff. He he has all the right tools. He knows exactly what to do. And so what ends up happening is he becomes the mentor to the younger guy, um, sort of teaching him his tricks. What's great about it, this could just be a straightforward comedy, but I think because uh, Bill Forsyth is involved, you know, he's the local hero and housekeeping and things like that. Uh, Gregory's girl his style is just very um, observational very human local hero I think ended up on my list a couple years ago Um, it's just has that sort of um, just taking in the vibe of the environment that you're in and one of the things now I can't prove it but I think that this movie was shot locally because there's one of the places they break into, I swear, is the Tacoma Boys uh, supermarket. There's just a lot about it. It's like, not Seattle, Tacoma, about this movie. So, um, and I really like that. Uh, Burt Reynolds Different is, vibes there. Yeah, yeah. Burt Reynolds is great. He's uh, kind of against type. He's playing into the fact that he's getting a little older by this point. And I really appreciate about that about his performance and uh it's funny it's got some heart to it um you really sort of when the heist sort of that comes up later in the film feels plausible and authentic like this is how someone would actually go about doing something like this again it's got a just a wonderful vibe to it this is one that i'm probably going to find myself revisiting kino has the Blu-ray out of it. And so that's how I picked it up because I'm a sucker for Kino sales and I buy a lot of uh, blind buys on Kino sales. And this happened to be one of them. And I'm glad I picked it up because it started out like I like this and it's just going to grow on me as time goes on. Nice. Kino is good. at They're good for discoveries for sure. Yeah, they, for sure. The movies that they put out are awesome little gems like this. I'll have to see this one too. Yeah. I may have a movie that goes along with that later on on my list. It's about a similar type of person. (laughs) All right. Well, there we go. Cool. But now, I guess it's time to, to break. Hi, everyone. Our conversation on this subject went a little bit longer than usual, so we decided to go ahead and split it into a couple of parts. So this will be the end of part one. Uh, For the next part, we will talk about some documentaries to start with, and we will then count down our top five discoveries of the year. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.